back, everyone, to our final episode of the fourth season of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is, again, your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service. And I'm pleased to be joined this week by Joe Gelchin. Joe is a proud parent of three Notre Dame graduates and has some other intersections with the university over the course of his life. And we're just going to be talking about those things and a lot more. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dan. We'd like to begin with just some basic background details. So could you tell us where you're from, where you grew up? Sure. Born and raised in beautiful Bayonne, New Jersey. (laughs) I affectionately call it paradise. (laughs) Anyone who's been through Bayonne is probably snickering right now. Okay. Yeah, that is where I was born and raised, Dan, before moving to South Bend, Indiana, 12 years ago. So you spent your whole childhood in the same place. Who were some of the important people there in your childhood kind of helped you develop your faith and your work ethic? Well, first of all, you know, Bayonne, as I had said, it's a a blue collar town. The two things that were in Bayonne that were really prevalent were churches, Mm -hmm. Catholic churches and bars. Okay. So it was just a great, great environment to grow up in. Now, it wasn't always the easiest. You know, there was some challenging times than when I grew up there, Mm -hmm. but they were just so rewarding. You know, for me, I was just fortunate. You know, I was raised, uh, I'm one of seven children. I'm six out of seven. Had the good fortune of being raised by two just extraordinarily beautiful, beautiful people and my mom and my dad Mm -hmm. and a wonderful grandmother who happened to be blind, Mary Irene Citizen, who lived with us my entire life. Hmm. And she was equally spiritual and holy and you know, it was back then that I realized there are living day saints mm-hmm. because I was surrounded by them. Mm. Yeah, so I had an extraordinary mentors in my life as far as my early years in Bayonne. Yeah, that's that's really inspiring to hear. As you grew into your own, uh, in terms of maturity, your identity, were there moments where you thought, I'm ready to take ownership of this faith for myself. It's not just something that my grandma or my parents think is important, but it's important to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, Dan, I just, I knew at a young age, independent of the influence my parents had on me, Mm -hmm. that God was, was a big part of my life, that he, that he made me for a reason and you find out those reasons as you go on in, in dribs and drabs. And yeah, I remember to clearly like laying in bed. I, I had a bedroom up in my attic in our home and it was a hot summer night. And I don't know how old I was, but I was 10. Mm-hmm. And looking out that window, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, it was quiet and hot. And I, I just felt his presence and I always knew he was with me. Mm through it all. And then he just kept showing himself as I got older. And I think the great thing for me was he never quit on me. Hmm. He just, uh, you know, through all my shortcomings, and they are many, <laughs> and it would take a whole other podcast. Of, <laughs> that's, a diff- that's a different podcast, right? <laughs> but um, I really do, and I still have them. But to your point, I, yeah, I, I knew at a young age that God was was with me and that he had a purpose for me. 
And I'm just always, to this very day, I'm fine trying to find out what that purpose is and where he wants me to go. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really important point because on this podcast, sometimes we talk about different moments of discernment and trying to find God's will in all this, but it's it's not always, I mean, there's the big discernment moments, but there's this ongoing nature of even down to every day, what is God calling me to do today? So I think that that constant dialogue through prayer is something that's really essential for that. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the challenges, though. What were some of the moments of adversity and challenge that you think shaped you and helped you later on in life? Well, I think as a, as a young kid growing up in Bayonne, and to get that piece of paradise I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, so we grew up in schoolyards, and it wasn't a schoolyard uh, like you would know today where kids are just lining up to go into classrooms and playing kickball. These are schoolyards where it was an abundance of all ages of, of guys. And so from the age of seven or eight years old, I'd find myself in those schoolyards because I had older brothers and sisters right. and brothers there. And, and there were all kinds of people that came to that schoolyard. And you learned and heard everything you pray your child today doesn't learn or hear. Okay. I mean, so yeah. How to play craps against a wall, how to play cards, use language you should never use. <laughs> and I was just around it. Hmm. And it was just an, a crazy environment. But through it, it, it made me stronger. You know, you, you learned a lot. You learned how to use your hands for sure. You settled things in different ways. And, and it didn't take long to settle an argument. Hmm. And, and then you shrug it off and go. Now, I never subscribe to that. I don't believe in fighting. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's the easy way out. And I've changed dramatically over the years. But you never quite lose all of it. Mm. And, you know, when I had that, you know, I took a boxing at a young age. And I actually stopped. I probably never shared this with a lot of people. I stopped because, well, a couple of reasons. One, I found true love in my life and my wife at a young age in high school. But I, I didn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. And that, that's not to frame it like, oh, I was some tough guy because I don't believe I am. But God did give me a certain inner strength that I that I carried with me. Mm-hmm. And I attributed it all to him. So it was his fault. When I was, <laughs> when I was overly aggressive, I blame it on him. But uh, no, I just I felt his presence. If you can imagine, even in that ring, I just let, I just I could not be beat when he was with me. Mm. And. I think that mindset and that belief and my belief in him has has guided me and carried me to this very day as I'm sitting here chatting with you. Sure. I don't walk with a lot of fear because I know he's with me Mm -hmm. and just feel so abundantly blessed in what he's given me in my wife, in my children, uh, knowing where I came from and where, where I am now and where I continue to go is just so uplifting for me. I pinch myself and shake my head and say, why me? Why Why are you so good to me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain principles like that that can apply in multiple venues. And so I think that confidence because of being with God is, is, a, is a really great thing. So you mentioned high school, you met your wife there. What was your education like in those high school and even, you know, looking towards college? Okay, I'll get to the education, but I'm going to start with my wife okay. because you had mentioned earlier some 
things in your life or turning points. And the single biggest moment in my life was sitting in that schoolyard and my wife walked in and I said to, I was a junior in high school. She was a sophomore. And I said to my best friend sitting next to me, I said, I am going to marry her someday. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know, really. What a statement from a, a young idiot in the schoolyard. <laughs> but, I, but I believe that I saw her, and she gets mad every time I refer to this story, but she knows it's true. I, I saw her and, and, and said, I will marry her one day. Hmm. And I didn't ask her out right away, and it's probably a blessing that I didn't because I, I just wasn't really ready for that at that moment. And I waited a good year, asked her out. We went to her junior prom, my senior prom. And it, to this day, it's the single greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Hmm. And put me on a path of purpose. And through her, you know, my life just got better. I mean, I, having our children, I, I, when I said I don't know what we're supposed to be in life, I think I found that my purpose was to, to be a father. I never knew that was a calling Right. Until I got older. And I literally, I say this daily prayer. I, I know it by heart. And it, it's a little prayer. And I say it every morning, Dan. It's, dear God, my heavenly father, thank you for my call to be a father. Hmm. And thank you for my children, each a precious gift from you. And it goes on. And that's all because of my wife, Suzanne. Hmm. So I had just had to put that in because it is such an important bedrock in my life. Absolutely. You know, the other part, uh, the schooling aspect, listen, I, I breezed through school. I didn't, I never, and it's one of my, bit of my regrets. I never gave it my all. Mm. I went to Catholic grade school, St. Vincent de Paul in Bayonne. I went to Marist High School, taught by the Marist brothers in Bayonne. And it was a great experience. And I, and I did apply myself there, but I lost my steam you know, college, I had to go to a local state college uh, where I commuted. And I, and to be candid with you, I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get it over with because I was working full time and going to school full time. And I knew the one thing I wanted to do was marry my, my wife, hmm. Suzanne. And I, we did. As soon as she got out of college, we did get married and we've been blessed for many years now. And so schooling just wasn't high on my list. Now, I never tell that to my kids, but <laughs> because of my lack of polish and aptitude, they kind of get that I didn't pay attention in school. <laughs> and I'm proud to say they inherited their mom's genes as far as that goes, because each and every one of our children, Matt, Ryan, and Casey, every one of them were summa cum laude mm-hmm. from BC and from Notre Dame, wow. and, uh, and all have advanced degrees, yeah. and that is all my wife. So- I am not the educator. Don't let me teach your kids. Okay. Marrying up. That's always a good... Uh, that's yeah, that's, a that's good an idea. understatement. <laughs> well, that's good. So you, you mentioned you were working while you were in college. Did that relate to what you eventually started out in as a career as once you finished college? So I, I had multiple jobs through college, like I think many college students do. Sure. I mopped floors at Bristol Myers Squibb in a factory in in Hillside, New Jersey. I I bartended. I religiously bartended all those years, uh, one or two nights a week or a Saturday, whatever I could grab uh, at local taverns in Bayonne. And then yeah, and there was assortment of other jobs. And then 
until I, I did get a job as a front desk clerk at the Sheraton Newark Airport Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I, I fell in love with that business. It was, I think it was just the interactions with the guests coming in and out. And as a kid, I never got to go to hotels. I actually, I think I was in one hotel my entire life huh. prior to that because we just didn't have the money to go to them. Sure. And even when it was a hotel, I think it was a motel. Right, yeah. Doors on the outside, right? <laughs> yeah, the doors were on the outside and the, you know, the pool had half water in it. But yeah, it's, so I, I took that job and, and I, I literally loved it. And I knew I, for some reason I was supposed to be in that business. Hmm. And, and I did it and I did it for quite a while and, and it became very fruitful for me. And yeah, so it was the hotel business. It was a, was a lion lion's share of my career in the workforce. So I assumed you moved up from the front desk. What were some of the steps in your career as you moved up in the hotel business? There were a lot of steps. So I front desk is, you know, similar to working. It's a low level position. I was a front desk clerk. They call them front desk agents now. Mm -hmm. But I was, uh, I was a front desk clerk. And then from there, they, they gave me the ability to learn about food and beverage. And I worked in the restaurants, I worked in the engineering department and so on, and just one role to another and then back to front office where I was a front office manager and rooms director. And so the, the training I received was really remarkable. And then I switched over to New York City. I worked in Manhattan hotels, the Sheraton Manhattan, which was the city squire back then. And it was a big hotel in New York. And then on to the Sheraton New York. And then Ultimately, I became the general manager of the Sheraton New York, which is was the largest hotel in the Starwood portfolio and largest and biggest money producing, producing hotel in the world for them. Mm-hmm. So I ran that property and then I became a vice president of the region and ran a bunch of brands for them and then ultimately ran the Sheraton brand for Starwood Worldwide. Mm. So yeah, I, I stuck with it and climbed the ranks and was very, very fortunate and abundantly blessed for um, a kid with a sketchy educational background. You know, I was teasing you before we got on. Said when you said, where did I go to school? I said, oh, Harvard, uh, because I always tease everyone. Yeah, Harvard on the Boulevard, Jersey City State College. But it, I think it just, it proved to me, you know, now I'm 60 years old and looking back that that's only possible with God on your side. Mm. I certainly didn't come from the pedigree that many others did that I had crossed along my career. And it was him. It was him and his guidance and belief in me for some reason. He wanted me to find some success in it. And, and I did. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a beautiful, wonderful run. Yeah, I think if we're honest, we all have, unless we're born royalty or something, we have those moments of, looking how God has blessed our lives sometimes and say, how did a kid from such and such place get get to be here or get to do this? Were there some moments like that where you looked back and just kind of marveled at the way that God was blessing you? Oh, I I mean, Dan, I, I lose my breath sometimes when I when I think of it. And, you know, so the, the yeah, so one particular moment that radiates specifically for me was I was uh, I was announced as the new leader of the Sheraton Brown Worldwide at a world conference in San Diego, and there were mm-hmm. five thousand owners and 
vice presidents of various regions and presidents from around the world at this conference where I was announced. And I, I remember walking out on stage and, uh, and we all had to give a presentation. And as I walked out, I just said, wow, thank you for being with me and putting me here for this very moment. Mm-hmm. And it was his plan. It was certainly not mine. I couldn't have mapped that out or or had hoped for anything like that. So, yeah, I attributed it, and I do. And this, this is not anything other than the truth. God put me there for that reason, for that time. And, and then subsequently, he's asked me to move on several times, Dan, mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Like, I left that business uh, pretty much, you know, I was I was on a great path there, and but something told me I was to leave. Hmm. It was, and I've had it many times in my life, and I won't go into it. But there's a nudging that came, and that nudge was to up there and leave and come to South Bend, Indiana, and I found another home here. I found beautiful beautiful people at Notre Dame who to this day I admire, respect and consider dear friends and you know there's one thing that ties in with this if you don't mind I'm going to I'm going to share it with you right now sure that and I'm just going to read it to you there's a gentleman at Notre Dame uh, Drew Buscarino I don't know if you know Drew I do great guy yeah just a marvelous beautiful beautiful man and and he was part of Lunani's team as, as I was. And in our morning meetings, credit to Lou, every Monday morning, we would start our group with a prayer. And it was Lou's direct reports. And we'd take turns with a prayer. And then Drew, in 2000, I don't, 2012, maybe, 2011, I don't know what year. It was 2010. He passed out a little prayer, or he read a little prayer. And then I asked him for a copy. And, and here's what it was. It was from Cardinal Newman. And it says, I have a place in God's council, in God's world, which no one else has. Mm. Whether I be rich or poor, despised or esteemed by man, God knows me and calls me by name. He has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. Here's the piece I love about it. It says, I have a mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told in the next. Hmm. Somehow, I'm necessary for his purposes. I have read that every day since Drew gave it to us because I asked for a copy. And I'm still thankful for him giving it out that day because it sums up so much. We all have a purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's got a plan for us. We don't know what it is. So what Drew handed out was something I've always known, but it reaffirmed it for me in something concrete that this cardinal put to paper. And I so believe it. So stop trying to figure it out. Like, just <laughs> go with him, really. And, right. and that's what he keeps doing to me. And he's been doing it forever for me, yeah. with my wife, with my job, with my moves, with my career. And then subsequently, leaving Notre Dame to go into the film business, like, I, on the surface, I should be shot, I mean, for losing my mind. <laughs> it's just insanity yeah. to deal with, you know, that, that element out there. It's... 
but it wasn't my choice. It was God's guidance to do it. And someday he's going to tell me what this joke was all about. (laughs) (laughs) It's been one adventure, Dan, trying to make movies out in this insane environment. Right. And I do want to get to that. But before we do, I'm interested. So, I mean, you... This working your way up all the way through Sheraton and seeing things at a lot of different levels, you know, obviously you're a person of deep faith and there's there's hospitality in the hospitality industry. But how did you hold fast to your faith and even exhibit your faith, maybe not overtly, but just in the way that you treated people or led people? What was important to you about in a business environment of, of still being able to to show your faith in the way that you conducted yourself? I got to tell Dan, I never even thought twice about it. I just knew for me to ever ascend to those levels and then pretend it wasn't important to me, mm-hmm. I think I would have been struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, our, our CEO was a, was a Jewish gentleman. I had two CEOs of a Jewish gentleman. Yeah. Steve Heyer was the last. And then the first was Barry Stern, like, and uh, devout Jews. Mm-hmm. And I was like a... They came into my office, and I had a, I had a crucifix on my, on my wall and um, religious articles about, and I just lived it proudly, not to be boastful, but it is, it's basically who I am, mm-hmm. and it's who he created, so I didn't really think much about it. You know, there's another Notre Dame individual whom I had a hand in bringing to Notre Dame. His name is Michael McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Michael works in development and Mike worked with me in the hotel business. And I, Mike and I inevitably, we, we'd go to mass at lunch, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be at St. Malachy, St. Patrick's. And, and I, so I was fortunate of, of having other like-minded people of faith around me as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually enjoyed people that didn't have much faith to be very, very candid <laughs> Because it was just, I'd, I'd love to understand why they didn't feel it. And and it was interesting, you know, I've often said, you know, don't preach the gospel, live the gospel. And I think our actions sometimes help others see things in a different light, whether that be God or how they carry themselves. And, and I think Mike and I both had an impact on people that we worked with because we weren't scared to share our faith or who we were, or what our belief system was. and mm-hmm. No, so I, I, I've never found that as a as a challenge in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's very helpful to hear, and I think encouraging for people who may find themselves in jobs that aren't specifically related to faith, but that they can, can live it. I, I do want to touch on the family element here, because with greater levels of responsibility and work, how do you balance that with trying to be faithful to your vocation as husband and father in the midst of all that? What were some things that you found to be helpful? Well, I, I began because I'm not that smart and I'm an uncomplicated guy. I had a real short priority list. Mm-hmm. It was my, my God. Uh, so faith was first. I had to make time for that time for my for my wife and my children mm-hmm. and what employers probably wouldn't want to hear is work came third mm-hmm. work never and never will come before my wife or my children mm-hmm. 
And somehow, again, by the grace of God, Dan, I was running hotels and I'd be, I'd jump in that car and go home and coach Little League Baseball hmm. or Little League or PAL Basketball from New York City. I would absolutely drive like a madman to get home. And, and for some unforeseen reason, they allowed me to do it. Hmm. I think they knew that it was important to me. Sure. And then I found that at Notre Dame as well. It was actually much easier at Notre Dame because my children were getting older. Yeah. The boys, one son was graduating Notre Dame when I was arriving and the other was a junior in college. And Casey was the only one. She was entered eighth grade when we arrived out here. But being you're so close, you can always scoot out, watch a game, get back, go see her play tennis, get back to work. And Notre Dame was so accommodating with that. And I think it's without abusing it. But I always found balance to be easy. But if push came to shove, my family was going to win. Because my belief, you you can fire me, but you cannot hurt me. Hmm. Because you could take my job away, but I'll be darned if you take my family away or, or damage that relationship in any way. So... Yeah, it's the, I, I really, that's a sensitive piece for me, but it's black and white. Hmm. Well, it's, it's great to hear. I mean, I think we can all get caught up in the trap of self-importance or self-aggrandizement as it relates to our work. And sometimes, and I'm talking here as a, as a husband and father, sometimes it can say, well, I'm, I'm working really hard at work to support my family. So Sometimes I have to, you know, put them second or or put them on the back burner. But what I'm hearing from you is keeping those priorities of faith, family, and then work straight. It still, it didn't preclude you from uh, succeeding at work, but you also didn't, your family didn't have to suffer, I guess, unduly, it sounds like, because you were sometimes what we say married to your job, if you will. Yeah, I I actually feel sorry for people like that, Dan. To be very, you know, and I'm, I'm not condemning them. Mm-hmm. I just, I do feel sorry because I think once you allow that to creep in, you've penetrated your soul. Like, listen, what is more, I think the, the simple question is this. What is more important if you lose your job or your family? Hmm. I mean, and so everyone should ask themselves that. Now, I'm not saying be disrespectful for your job. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I'd be leery of hiring anybody who told me work was more important than their family. Hmm. So you can't, it's like, you know, you can't answer to two gods. What, which is it? Right. So, yeah, again, that's just black and white for me. Not trying to critique or tell anyone how they should live their life or prioritize. But for me... That is like the easiest question you're going to ask me today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Try and ramp it up here. So what was this whole decision to leave Sheridan, come to South Bend, work at Notre Dame? Can you take us through some of those discussions and moments? (laughs) Yeah. Again, I just, here I am. I had a wonderful job in New York City. But, you know, I had felt... I, I think I used the word rumbling or tugging mm-hmm. uh, at me when I was with the, at the Sheraton. I was working from the world headquarters up in White Plains, New York. And yeah, I just knew it was going to be time to leave. So, you know, they literally collectively thought I had lost my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember 
the CEO at the time saying to me, you've got to be joking. I mean, you know, you're gonna, you don't get to take these options with you. And Mm -hmm. so I was leaving quite a bit of money behind, but then again, money never guided me. Mm -hmm. It just, it just doesn't, when you come from very little and you attain a little, you're like, I could always go back to small, simple, Hmm. and we never made it complicated for ourselves. So we never lavished ourselves with too much. So, and I think that was the key. My wife and I always, and I always were grounded in simplicity, but I just knew I was supposed to leave. And people said, well, what are you going to do out there? Well, I'd have no idea. Hmm. All I know is I'm supposed to be out there. And so when we built this home here, Dan, we built real close to campus. Again, you know, when I was walking on campus, so I'll take you back a little. I mean, we had come out for years just to visit Notre Dame. We were, I, I grew up as a kid, Irish Catholic, loving Notre Dame. Just, oh, that was the, I mean, that golden dome and that, that special place where only rich, smart Catholic kids could go. <laughs> and then they had a football team to boot that was spectacular. And I remember as a kid saying, why does anyone play Notre Dame? They know they're going to lose. <laughs> That's how good they were then. And so, you know, then to have a son who decided to go to Notre Dame was like, wow. But we had been coming out when they were little boys, we came out for a game. And then when he was his 13th birthday, we came out. And, but here's the thing. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit on that campus. Mm-hmm. And I still do, Dan. And so people will talk about the grotto and the dome. And, and, I, and they, they are, make no mistake, powerful. But I, I've always felt the Holy Spirit on those grounds. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I said, we need to be closer to this place, this mm. this wonderful area. And we did. And then sure enough, you know, opportunity presented itself because I had planned on just working out of my home, doing some consulting work. Mm-hmm. And, and then God opened the door to Notre Dame. And like I said, it I wouldn't trade those years for any any of the years I've lived. Mm-hmm. It's been spectacular. And they still are. I still have dear friends there and we communicate quite frequently. So it's it's just I've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned your kids and the things that they've accomplished. You know, I think one of the most important jobs we have as parents is to pass on the faith and give them a sense of faith and refuge that they can hold on to no matter, you know, what happens in their lives. What were your tactics, you and your wife, for imparting faith to your kids and helping them understand that that was important? Well, I think because it was such an important part of Suzanne and I and our marriage and and how we, we viewed life, well, I'll back up. I think the biggest part for anything with your children is marrying right. So for me, marrying Suzanne, talk about stepping up is, that's not even a fair statement. (laughs) She's just a beautiful, spectacular woman who maybe God was playing a joke on her when he sent (laughs) her away. But I, in seriousness, I mean, having a great wife makes everything easy. There'll always be things that pop up. You, Dan, you're married. You get it. You mm-hmm. have children. You understand. Life is not meant to be a bed of roses. Mm-hmm. There, there are challenges, but 
it's so much easier when you have a wife who believes, who has faith. Listen, Suzanne gave up everything to raise our children. Hmm. So she was smarter than me. And that's not a joke. It's just like I'm making this stuff up to make it sound right. Mm -hmm. But she had a calling, I believe, to be a mother. Hmm. And when we had always said, oh, when, you know, we'll have a child and you go back to work. And well, we had Matt. And 15 months later, we were blessed with our another son, Ryan. Mm -hmm. So there was no window to go back to work. And then we looked at each other and said, hey, no, home is where you want it. It's where she wanted to be, mm -hmm. not where I wanted it. Just, and, and then, you know, so she never went back. And then God, we blessed us again six years later with Casey. So, you know, passing on the faith is, is showering them with love. And talking to them about God and, and more importantly, let it be visible mm -hmm. in, in your actions as parents. And, and Suzanne brought that every day in my absence when I was working. And, and, you know, Dan, I'll say this, you know, when I, you know, when I, when we were starting out, we were sucking wind. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk about, oh yeah, when I left Sheraton, I had a big job. It wasn't like that. That front desk clerk was not that big. Right. So it was, we, we really, I remember a hot water heater going and wondering how we we're going to replace it. Yeah. So, and I think what makes it rewarding now is we made those decisions to purposely have no money because the priority was our children. Hmm. And it always was and it always will be. And I think we've been rewarded because of that because if you haven't met my, my children, you should because they're great, beautiful, better than their father people. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of you don't get those years back and they're not unlimited. And the investments of, of faith and love that we make in our children can flower and grow with God's grace in ways that we couldn't even have imagined. So I think that's always one of the great blessings as parents is, is if you get to the point and can see your children flourish in their own vocations to say, it's not all me, but I at least cooperated with God's grace or we cooperated with God's grace to see that happen. Yes, exactly. And you talk about examples and I, I re reference Suzanne. Suzanne had it in her life with her parents who were just wonderful, wonderful people. I had it with mine. You know, I grew up, Dan, and I remember I eulogized my dad on his passing and what came to mind, what I told everyone, I said, you know, I, I grew up going to bed, seeing my dad fall asleep with a rosary in his hand saying his night prayers. Mm -hmm. And I woke up in the morning to see him on his knees in his morning prayers. I mean, he was just a beautiful, powerful man. So no words are spoken, just he lived his faith. Just living it. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, you know, I just try as best I can in my limited abilities to try and live a decent life with all of my weaknesses. And, but if not for Suzanne, none of this is possible. Mm -hmm. And without God's grace, obviously. Right. Yeah. Often shown to us through, <laughs> through those we love and who love us. You know, while we're talking about this, I have to say this, Dan, it's probably a little off talk, but we're, I'm mentioning Suzanne so much. You know, I think Women and women and mothers, just mothers in general, I don't think they get the credit they deserve. They are, they are the backbone of everything important in a family. Mm -hmm. And dads, we get all the credit, and for whatever reason, it's silly. 
but it's moms. And I think, you know, the Blessed Mother and, you know, women of the Bible are a prime example of that. They're strong. The Blessed Mother, which she had to go through to see her son crucified like that and and meet him on his way with the cross and follow him. But just mothers are just such powerful forces in a child's life that my admiration for women and mothers is just unmeasurable. That's well said. And I think why a lot of us feel called to Notre Dame into this place to serve the Blessed Mother and extol her example to a lot of people. You mentioned that you thought you and Suzanne felt the Holy Spirit and and wanted to be a part of Notre Dame. But when you got here and started working here, was that confirmed? What were some of the best moments of, of being here while you were working here? Well, there's an abundance of great moments. I think for me, the biggest eye opener, there were many. So, you know, on the surface, it was just, I, I have often told people and someone asked me not too long ago, you know, tell me about some of the people at Notre Dame. And I said, sure, there's some of the smartest, kindest, humblest people I have ever met. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that's pretty much sums up the integrity of the type of people at Notre Dame attracts. What was really moving for me and is to this very day is I had the good fortune of working, you know, with Lou and that development team in university relations. And through my role, I met some of the biggest donors that Notre Dame has. Mm -hmm. And those individuals are the difference makers and that have left a mark on my life. Mm-hmm. Their goodness, their, their willingness to give with nothing in return. When I look at some of the buildings and the names that grace those halls, wow, they're, it's just so powerful because I know a lot of them personally. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're doing God's work in giving of what they have received. And so humbly on so many counts. And I feel that was one of my bigger takeaways that these these people were so beautiful and so powerful. They just had a great impact on me. And I'm, I'm so happy to, to call them friends today. I'd love to mention a bunch of their names, but the list would go on <laughs> quite long. So I, I don't want to do that. And for fear that I'd mention, forget one. But anyone right. who may listen to this, they know exactly who I'm referring to. Yeah. Because I do love them. Well, and I think there's sometimes a cynicism that can develop that anyone who has a lot of money must be a certain way and must not care about other people or care about themselves too much and that kind of thing. But from what it sounds like, that that was not your experience and that, in fact, the opposite was true, that they were looking to take the blessings that they had received from God and really pass that on in a way that, you know, would outlive them. They would invest in the future. They would invest in the students of Notre Dame that they touched so many lives. It just sounds like you had a lot of inspiring people in relationships. Yeah, I, well stated. That That's exactly what it is, Dan. And they live beautiful lives. So, yeah, there's this... Um, there's this thought out there with some, in some circles that, you know, these wealthy people and they're, they, and, it, and it's not always pretty, but boy, you know, there's, there's, there's that saying that for those who have been granted much, much will be expected of them. 
Mm-hmm. I could say this the from my experience, the Notre Dame alums and family, they have given much was expected of them and they have lived up to that calling mm-hmm. and they should all be very proud of themselves. And, and I think that's why Notre Dame, because it's rooted in such goodness to help not only their communities, but those around them in the world, it'll always remain strong as long as it doesn't lose sight of its purpose, which I, I pray they never do. Mm-hmm. It'll still attract these type of people. And so many of them went through Notre Dame, whether themselves as alum or with, through their children, that the impact on them has brought out the best in them. Mm-hmm. And that's why you hear when, you know, when anything goes on at Notre Dame, it's, it's visceral, the cries one way or another. It's out of <laughs> It's just like yeah. anything, whether it be the football team winning or losing, or it's it's their deep love for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so thankful to have been associated with Notre Dame. It's it's a highlight in my life to be part of that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us who feel that that sense of blessing to for whatever time we've been given to intersect with Notre Dame as an institution and the, and especially the people that we've had a chance to meet while here is such a blessing. However, <laughs> you didn't stay for, for the rest of your life. You turned to the movies. Where did that come from and uh, what are you trying to do in that next chapter? Wow. Like I said from that Cardinal Newman poem, maybe he'll tell me in my next life <laughs> why I did this. I, I had a I just knew it was time. Listen, when I, I'm goal-oriented, and I always have been, like I set my sights on something, trying to accomplish it. But once it's done, like, well, what's next, I guess, mm-hmm. into my human piece of, you know, I'm just human. So I think at Notre Dame, when I first arrived and we had, Lou and I set out goals or he set them for me, and we, I think we accomplished our goals. Mm-hmm. And we had a beautiful run. And it was such a good, safe place for me. But again, God had another plan. And, you know, I'd always, I had a little bet with my son. It's an old story and I'll try not to bore you with it. But I I had a little bet that I could get myself in a movie. I got myself in a movie and, (laughs) and I just said, you know, I think I can make these things. And I think I could put together a business plan. And wouldn't it be nice if people told nice movies, mm-hmm. movies of hope, of inspiration. And because I see a huge void in that right now. Sure. So the irony of it is I, I stumble into this thing. We raise some money to make, be part of them and then actually subsidize and make the, the Secret Dare to Dream, which is our last one that was out. And, and that is a movie of hope and inspiration and just a feel-good movie for families. And... And then, you know, pandemics, I mean, we've had such bad luck mm-hmm. with things, but through it all, I wouldn't trade it, Dan. I'm getting emails. I got one exe- today, actually, from someone who'd said they had seen the movie and thank you for sharing it with the world because it gave them hope mm-hmm. and changed their attitude about how they think about things. And And I've literally received them from around the world. Mm-hmm. And so when you get them... To your question, why? Maybe, you know, maybe God has a bigger plan and I don't know what it is yet. The crazy part is I've been asked 
to make a bunch of more movies now? And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah, I'm like, wow, a lot of people would love this position. I, I don't know. I want to, uh, I want to pause, do some more discernment and figure out what he wants next of me. Mm-hmm. I joke semi with some people and anyone who knows me will probably get it. I want to get a hot dog truck. <laughs> <laughs> and you're chuckling, but it's true. I, my boy, my, my boys and my, they bought me a, a sign, Joe's Hot Dogs. And, and you know what? I've always said it and I will before I die. I'm buying me a hot dog truck and I don't know where I'm going to operate it from. <laughs> but I want to sell hot dogs. And maybe, and maybe I'm, I'm going to meet somebody who needs a hot dog. Mm-hmm. And that's how simple my mind works. I try not to question what he wants of me and then just do it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've got a lot of opportunities in front of you and things to things to consider. Earlier this season, we talked to Father David Guffey with Family Theater Productions, and they they just released the film Prey about Father Patrick Payton, and it was his assertion that there's space there in Hollywood for really high quality, values based, meaningful films, but it requires the effort and people to make them. It sounds like even in your stepping into the industry, seeing some early success there, that, that you found that to be the case as well, that there's a place in an audience who, who want to see films of meaning. Would that be accurate? It is spot on, Dan. There's a, there's a yearning out there for people who want quality value movies, movies of hope, of inspiration, of... Because right now it's just littered with violence and and nudity and language that's inappropriate and just mm-hmm. you know the the world is cluttered with it and you know you you're, you can only handle so much your body is what you take in you eat junk you're gonna have some problems inside i think the same thing is with your mind if you if you clutter it with filth mm-hmm. what do you expect your thought process to be yeah clutter it with violence or if you cut it with whatever that's inappropriate. So I think the world need the people and young people specifically, and you know, not even young, all of us mm-hmm. need to see movies that are enjoyable, family oriented, that you can take away something from it and say, wow, that was really nice. I think the key is, and you have to get, you have to get decent actors who buy in. You can't get no names per se. You got to get quality actors and actresses mm-hmm. who have the same belief system that you do. Mm-hmm. You know what? Even with our last, this last movie, I keep referring to, you know, I've got a bigger one out right now, but I'm not here to plug movies. So I'm not going to mention the name of it. But the secret there to dream that we did, we had so many little lines in there that referenced God. It referenced miracles. Mm-hmm. I remember the director saying to me, hey, I wasn't hired to make a, a religious movie. I said, no, but I hired you and this is the movie you're making. <laughs> a real short conversation. But yeah, we, we had lines of that, you know, and it's funny. So many people have reached out and quoted those lines that we specifically wanted in the movie mm. about miracle, a miracle that happened in my life that changed my outlook. And when someone asks Josh Lucas in one sequence, well, isn't that coincidence? He goes, well, 
coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And hmm. so, you know, and it reminds me, there's a, there's a, there's a saying, God's time is always perfect. Hmm. You know, his timing's always perfect. And I literally just sent uh, Amy Barrett a note, the Honorable Supreme Court Justice Amy Barrett, mm -hmm. a note. And I wrote that in there. I said, Amy, what you have just been through with those hearings, I said, it's all in God's time. You were picked for this very moment in time. Hmm. And, I, and I believe that. And I believe it for all of us in whatever walk of life we're in, it's in his time mm -hmm. that he'll reveal himself and what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do. But here's the thing. If a guy like me who's limited in so many ways, Dan, if he can open my mind to figure some of this out or at least try to understand it, mm -hmm. I can imagine what he could do for, for others who are a lot smarter than me. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's that willingness to cooperate with grace, that we're not the authors of it, we're not the sources of it, but if we cooperate with it, some, some tremendous things have have happened through, you know, humble people and humble beginnings. So that's that's great to see that happen, you know, over and over again. We do like to always ask people about holiness and models of holiness. Who have been some of the holy people in your life that you look up to and have looked up to and said, that's what I want to be. That's how I want to live my life. That, that's the easiest question. Well, the family one was real easy. <laughs> this, is, this is equally as easy. That, that was my dad. Mm -hmm. There is no one on that level that I've ever encountered in my life. He, he lived a life of holiness, yet was a man of, and he was a man of character, a man of faith. But, you know, he, he was a he's a young man who was in World War II uh, as a 17 year old, just turning 18, wow. uh, fought in World War II, came home, had children and got shipped out to the Korean War. He just carried himself with a beauty and a dignity. And I never heard him complain about anything. He just mm -hmm. with seven insane kids and <laughs> just sheer insanity swirling about he was the he was always the steadfast good man beacon of light and strength for all of us for me in particular and i've said it before and i'll always say it he was my hero mm -hmm. and and what's really nice dan is that you know i see my kids are like my dad mm. they're they're powerful smart good people and yeah, so it's, you know, it was my dad, it's my wife, my mom was beautiful, I, I told you about my, my grandmother. And then as you go in life, you meet so many powerful, beautiful, spiritual, smart people like Notre Dame, yeah. the Holy Cross priest that I have come across there, it is a litany of beautiful men. Mm -hmm. I My respect for them, can't, again, cannot be measured. Mm-hmm. And it would be embarrassing to start rattling off all of their names mm -hmm. because they're that – there's just too many that I'd be fearful of missing one. Mm -hmm. But they're just they've, – they've left a wonderful impact on me that I continually carry with me. And, but, yeah, my dad was, was top of the food chain there. And my, my mother-in-law was beautiful and her parents were beautiful. And mm. So, I, there you go. You know, when I look back, I was surrounded by them. Yeah. And 
so it made it easy. I guess I, I was just dealt a hand, maybe more fortunate than others. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. No, it's it's a beautiful blessing to, to realize that. And then, then the question is, well, what do we do with that? How do we live our lives in a way? And I think your point about Notre Dame being filled, the Notre Dame family being filled with a lot of holy people, that's, that's what kind of gave me and, uh, you know, the team here, the inspiration to start the podcast is just the experience of meeting so many wonderful holy people and thinking, I'd, I'd love to tell some of these stories. I'd love to to get some of these stories out there because it's been a blessing in my life, but uh, maybe it could be a blessing to a lot of people as well. So that's, that's that point certainly resonates with me. So what you just said about, yeah, I almost, I, I think, you know, I, I did not want to do this podcast or this, <laughs> this I, I just, for, for personal reasons, I just didn't, I don't feel adequate enough to be in the level of the, some of the guests you've had that have gone before me. But the reason I did it was ultimately I prayed about it because I hemmed and awed for a few weeks, Dan. <laughs> yeah. I did say to you, I said, you may lose your job after this one. <laughs> We're doing okay. <laughs> Whatever, we'll get through it. What, I, what came to me was if anything comes of this, if anyone decides to listen to it, maybe they will realize it's just simple people that God can touch. It's for all of us. Mm -hmm. Not that I have a patent on anything because I know I don't. I just, I just know it's for regular people. You know, when I was a young boy, I always thought, oh, holiness is if you became a, a, a priest or, or a brother or a nun or something like that. And I was so wrong. And I, and I think Again, meeting my wife and being a father, realizing being a father is a calling. Mm -hmm. And it's proved to be the greatest calling I have ever had and will have. And so I, I did it for that reason, just to say, hey, normal normal Joes, it's okay to be normal and because God's got a place for all of us. Mm -hmm. And just do your best, whatever that may be, but seek him out. Because he's there, he's looking for us and wants to be with us. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came on. I, I think it's been certainly an inspiring story for me, and I think it will be for a lot of people that my story isn't going to look like yours and, and no one else's either because you've tried to be faithful, as you were quoting that prayer from, from Cardinal Newman, being faithful to pl the plan that God has for you, even though you may not realize it. So thank you for sharing your story and prayers to the your future successes whether it's with more films of meeting or the hot dog truck or whatever god has for you next um, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you today joe dan thank you so much and um and god bless the entire notre dame family and community because it is one of the most special places on the face of the earth well no argument there well, that concludes this episode and season of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. But before you go, a couple of requests for you. If you've made it to the end of the podcast and the end of the season, I hope you've really been enjoying the stories. Would you consider going on iTunes and giving us a five-star rating? That really helps get word out to others about the podcast if it's rated highly on that service as well as if there were any particular episodes that were really meaningful to you and you think that someone in your family or friend group would 
particularly appreciate them, please share the episodes with them and let them know about the podcast. We've heard from a lot of people who have discovered the podcast for the first time this season and then have then gone back and listened to other episodes. So the more that you share the good news and the good stories that are happening here, the more people get to take part in it. I want to thank you for being such dedicated members of our audience. And until next season, know that you remain in our prayers. God bless. Thank you.